Um, if you're new or visiting, um, we've been taking a journey through the Ten Commandments, and um, we're gathering speed as we kind of come towards the end of them. So this evening we're in Commandment 8, which is do not steal. Do not steal. Quite punchy there. Um, but we're going to start this evening by um, just bending into the beginning of the story. So if you want to turn to Genesis chapter 1, which is page 3, um, and we're going to look at verses 27 to 29, then we'll pick up something in Genesis chapter 2, and then the beginning of Genesis 3. Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 to 29. Then God said, Let us make humankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. If you flip over the page to chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. And where uh, chapter 1 is the kind of macrocosm, the big picture, this is the microcosm, the detail. So Genesis 2, verses 15 to 17. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. And then Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say, You must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 19. You shall not steal. Let's pause there and pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness and grace. We thank you for your presence in this room this evening. We thank you that your word is alive and active. 
and that your commands are as relevant today as they were those many thousands of years ago when you spoke them into being. And as we approach your word this evening in spirit and in truth, may it change us. May it call us further into your likeness. And will it be for your glory and your kingdom come on this earth. Amen. Amen. Um, so, the Ten Commandments. Um, the main thing that we've been kind of t- being able to sort of tease out of the Ten Commandments, our big sort of headline, is that we want to say that these are words of life. That they're not God standing before us being like, you shan't do that and you shouldn't do that. Actually, they're, you shall be free. They are words of life. They are about our flourishment. And when we approach them, we see that they're just fundamentally interlinked. If you've been taking, sort of journeying through um, the sermon series, you'll just hear the links that we end up going back to this one and that one because they're about human flourishing. They're about a God who is the potter and us who who are the clay. A God who knows us and knows how he has made us. And they're constantly going back to Genesis to this Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3 reality because that's where we most fundamentally, most poignantly see how the Lord God Almighty made us. And so to understand them, we look back to look forward. So what do we see when we glimpse um, in Genesis? Um, We see that God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Trinity here, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Made the world. He made creation. And he saw that it was good. And there's a tree at the heart of creation. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Which had some fruit. There we go. I love a visual aid. Anyway. Um, And most fundamentally for us, he made us, Adam, Eve, in his image. He made us in his likeness. Male and female, he made them. Image bearers. Made after his own heart, his own image for creating, for justice, for mercy, for goodness. And he gave one command, didn't he? that we wouldn't eat this fruit from the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. But what do we do? We eat the fruit. And that produces this fundamental gap between us and God. And between us and us, there's a disconnection between um, humanity itself and between us and the creation that we were called to steward over. And in classic evangelical fashion, we know that God didn't leave the story there. That actually Jesus died on the cross. Yes. Which bridged that gap. And he comes. And for everybody who will confess his name and who longs to fully get back into relationship with God, he gets hold of us and he takes us across this bridge of the cross, back to where we're meant to be. He redeems us. And as we come back into this place with the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, as we're reconciled again in him as image bearers, and we choose to give back the fruit which belongs to him, we find this place of utter, utter 
and restoration. And that's the big headline, actually, of this command. Fruit. And what the Lord is whispering to each and every one of us this evening is, what's our fruit? What's the thing that we want to take when actually it belongs to God? Because there's two big theological scriptural realities going on. First, there's the fact that we're image bearers. We're made in the image of the triune God. And we're made for stewardship and for justice. That's what he created us to do, to steward his creation, to bear his image in this world. And we're made for a corporate reality. We're made to give and receive from him, but not to take. We're made to give, not to take. And we do that when we worship him and we give back to him what is his. We've been doing that um, for a lot of this service. And in that, we receive from him all the blessing he has for us. We do that when we give back to each other, when we get our relationships right, when we sit and we think, you know what, I'm going to exist for we, not me. And we do that when we give back to creation, when we steward his world well. So that's the first major thing. We're image bearers, which is full of dignity and grace and wonder, but it's also full of challenge. And the second thing is this. All the fruit belongs to God. Everything on the face of this earth, all of our possessions, all our stuff, all the inordinate blessing that he's poured out on us, all the stuff that's going to come and flourish here um, through living space, it all belongs to him. God owns all the fruit. And that's the right thing. Um, King David in the Old Testament, just as he's sort of gathering all the stuff to, to build the temple, which ultimately is built by his son Solomon. But as he's gathering all the treasure in and he's getting the Israelites ready to build this place of adoration and worship, he just cries out this in um, 1 Chronicles 29 verse 14. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you and we have given you only what comes from your hand. Everything comes from his hand. Everything. Um, J. John, if you've come across him, he's a British evangelist. Um, he puts it a bit more practically. And he just says this, the most important principle behind this command, the you shall not steal command, is that property first and foremost belongs to God. God has only given us stewardship of what we own. Our possessions are on loan from him. And how countercultural is that? But how true is that? And in a Western culture that holds so tightly to stuff, to our possessions, we have to know this as church. Everything comes from his hand. I was just reflecting on this um, over the weekend. I just thought, gosh, how would my mentality how would my very kind of makeup change if I really sort of um, enacted this? Um, so I decided, and I have slightly failed already today, to try and wake up and sort of um, be really, really conscious of this. So wake up and go, thank you, God, for my bed. You know, because it's from him. It belongs to him. Thank you, God, for this cup of coffee. It belongs to him. 
Thank you, God, for the 8.30 and the Book of Common Prayer, because it's beautiful, even if it's 8.30 in the morning and a lot of words. Um, you know, and as I went through the day, I think I failed somewhere around lunchtime doing the washing up or something. Um, but, you know, how would our mentality change if we disciplined ourselves to thank God for all the amazing blessings, all the abundance, all the really kind of little practical things in our lives? It would change everything. So that's my first question this evening. How would your mentality change? How would my mentality change if I really registered that God owns all the fruit? So we're image bearers, made to give, not take, and God owns all the fruit. Um, so practically stealing. Um, I think we'd all agree, I would hope we would all agree in this room this evening that stealing is wrong. Fundamentally, not a good thing to rob someone or um, break into a jewelry store, however pretty things may be. Um, but what, what really is stealing? At its most basic level, stealing is, is taking something with a disregard for the other. That was what was going on for Adam and Eve. They took something with a disregard for God and for his rule. And so what we need to consider, as I was saying, is what is our fruit? Actually, what are we tempted to take? In an ancient context, in the context where uh, these commands were first, uh, first sort of written and read, it would have been things like cows and bushels of wheat and all those sorts of things. In our day, 21st century, Parsons Green, London, St. Dee's, what is it? What is it in the world of work? What is it in the world of um, relationships? What is it in terms of material wealth and possessions and giving? That's what we need to dig into. That will be our fruit. That'll be the thing that we're holding on to and we know we're slightly taking and needs to be put back where it belongs at the seat of the throne room of God. So what, what's our fruit? Lots of stuff that's easy to take in everyday life. And it's going to be really different for each and every one of us. And the Spirit will just nudge each of us in different ways. But let's think about work. Um, I'm sure most of us in this room this evening either are studying or have a job. What's going on at work? You know, what, what are we expensing? What are we maybe sometimes thinking, oh, should I expense that or not, and then doing it? How are we using our time? How focused are we at work? How much are we on social media? What sort of state are we going into work in? Actually, especially when you get to about Thursday evening and Thursday's a new Friday. We were rocking up at work really tired because we stayed out too late the night before. What are, what are we giving to our work and what are we taking from our work? How are we treating our colleagues? Relationally, how are we engaging with each other? Are we people who really give in our relationships? Or are we people who have a tendency at times to, to take? Um, I don't know if this is just a female thing, but um, certainly somewhere in my subconscious, and when I talk to my other um, friends, they have it too, that you kind of have a slightly different view of each of your friends. So you have like the fun friend, and when you need to have a laugh, you probably call them. And then you have the reliable friend who will always be there no matter what time it is, day or night. And then you have the good advice friend who you go to to wrestle things out with. 
but actually, well, what are we doing with each of those people? Am I taking more from the reliable friend or the advice friend, but giving more to the fun friend? You know, how, how are we in our relationships? What are, what are we wrestling with? Do we give to other people as much as receiving rightly from them? What about our romantic relationships? Um, do, we, do we seek to date well, to be engaged well, to be married well? Do we seek to, to walk out those relationships really, really well? Actually, there is nothing like a romantic relationship to hold up almost a big mirror to yourself and let yourself look at yourself and go, oh gosh, those are all my foibles and my wonderful bits and things like that. You know, what, what are we doing? in those relationships that are at the core of our sort of daily lives? Are we preoccupied with we or preoccupied with me? And the Lord would nudge us into me. Um, materialism. What just happened this weekend? Black Friday. I don't know about you, but um, despite GDPR, on about Tuesday, my inbox was like saturated and blitzed again and again and again and again with deals. It was like black week or something like that. And no matter how much I tried to you know, be good and avoid it, I failed miserably. Um, and we're, quite, we're just possessions are a god in our culture, aren't they? Possessions mean that we take something sometimes. Um, I have um, a love affair with the body shop, which I convinced myself was fine because the body shop's really ethical and good to the planet and all of that. And then I had a sharp moment on about Wednesday when um, this came into my inbox. The body shop, 40% off, starts now. Give back to nature this Black Friday. That's completely irrational. How can anyone give back to nature by buying something like pomegranate face cream, which I have too many boxes of pomegranate face cream. I keep buying more and I don't know why. Um, but it's completely irrational. I go and buy something that's made out of plastic in a cardboard box. That kills nature. Give back to nature. Um, how are we doing on materialism? What is our fruit? Most of us are gonna have a fruit thing that we need to deal with in this whole area of possessions. You know, mine is cloves, I know this. I've decided since writing this sermon that I am going on a clothes buying fast for at least the next two months. I do not need any more clothes. I need to hold me to that. Um, I know, working with him, that Tim's is climbing gear. And you know, which is fine, it's good to exercise. But still, we're all gonna have something we cannot escape materialism in this world, in this culture that we live in. So how do we bring it before God? How do we hold it before God so that it's something that we're free in and it's not something that we're taking in all the time? Um, if you want to read anything really good, I think I re uh, recommended this book at the beginning of the series, but um, Tim Keller, Counterfeit Gods, it's got the best chapter on money and possessions and walking free in that um, area. So work, relationships, materialism, creation. We're called to steward this creation and actually our materialism and our buying habits, they are destroying the world, aren't they? We, we know that. We know that climate change is largely down to what we're doing in the West right now. And so we know that we need to figure that out. And actually, we need to be people who take recycling seriously and who take buying of things seriously and consider our carbon footprint and think about shopping at charity shops. There's brilliant charity shops around us. 
because we're not isolated units, are we? We're not isolated units. We're made for each other, and we're made for this world and the world to come, and what we do affects other people. And so that's the third kind of question this evening, actually. What are our, what, what are your small disciplines that you could change so that actually you begin to exercise a muscle and you begin to give, not take? What's the one or two things you could do where you give rather than take? It could be in the area of work, it could be in the area of relationships, it could be around spending and materialism, it could be around creation. You, you'll know what it is for you. So that's the everyday fruit. And then what's the fruit? Sitting back in the fact that we know that everything comes from God's hand. What's the fruit that we can be tempted to take that's very immediate, very immediate to God? Actually, what's our attitude to God and to his word and to the revelation of who he is in our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit? How do we approach the Lord God Almighty? If you look at chapter 3 of Genesis, verse 1, it begins with the serpent tempting Eve. And the snake doesn't go in with a kind of bold, God didn't say, why didn't you just eat that fruit? That, eat fr that fruit looks great. Actually, the serpent goes in with this really seductive question, which begins the process of the first theft and its just awful consequences. And what does, what does Satan say? Just says, did God really say? Did God really say? And that's been the whisper of the enemy for all of church history. And, you know, I sit right at the heart of the Church of England in terms of what I do for a day job. Um, and those are the whispers that are around. Did God really say? Can we just bend his word to be a bit more culturally relevant? Oh, I'm not sure about that. But the thing is, guys, his word is eternal. And it's God-breathed. It's living and active. It's his revelation of who he is to us. He revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ. And it was written down and recorded. So that we might have life and have life to the full. And he comes by the power of his Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit never does anything extra biblical. But the Spirit reveals to us who the Lord Almighty is. And we don't get to take from his word. I suddenly realized um, this afternoon that if you get to the other end of the Bible, the bookend that is Revelation, the penultimate verse of the Bible of the end of the Bible, sorry. So the second to last verse at the end of the Bible. Revelation chapter 22, verse 19b is this. And if anyone takes words away from this scroll of prophecy, and it's talking about the whole of scripture there, God will take away from you your share in the tree of life and in the holy city. The fall comes into play at the beginning with the words of did God really say? And the Lord concludes his message, his word to us by saying, don't you take away from my word. 
we have to take this seriously. So, do we trust his word? It's, it's a beautiful, beautiful book to us. It's just full of joy and freedom. Are we ready to take these commands seriously? Words of life, stuff to wrestle with and to make us more free. Do we let it change us? Do we let it move us into action? Let's not take from God what he's revealed to us. And then really practically, um, in this church, we, Tim was doing it earlier, we just, we love to give. It's one of our four banners over there, get giving, get giving. And sometimes this whole area of like giving and tithing and all of that, it can be kind of guilt-inducing, but it's, it's not meant to be at all. And that's not scriptural, and that's not what God does with it. It is the biggest joy. Because in a materialistic world, we know that stuff will never satisfy. It doesn't matter how many pomegranate face creams or anything else I buy, it's not going to satisfy me. But actually, there's something brilliant about giving to God in time, but also in finances. It's like an antidote to the world's materialism. It brings such a joy and such a freedom. Because it's this act of worship that realigns us with God, that allows us to again and again know that we're image bearers and we're made for something so much bigger than this earth right now. It allows us to step back into the big picture and see that there is eternity going on behind the scenes. And the Lord's just allowed us to be part of it all. What joy it is. And that we're made to give, not take. And the true freedom, the true joy is found in the giving. Just as a bit of a kind of sidebar, um, Christians have always, throughout the centuries, known that there's a kind of beauty in, in, in a poverty. Not in a poverty that's sort of put upon you that's crushing and depressing where you're in this kind of endless cycle of not sure where the next meal's coming from and all of that, but a kind of chosen poverty almost. You see that through the monastic communities. You see that with someone like St. Francis of Assisi or Ignatius of Loyola, that actually there is a beauty in freedom from stuff. And you see that when you stare at scripture again and again and again. There is this train throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament of the glory of God, the upside down nature of the kingdom of God, the absolute joy of having nothing yet possessing everything. And Paul in 2 Corinthians 6.10, he's just writing about himself and some of his fellow early Christians. The guys writing the Bible that we read here and now. And he just says this, having nothing and yet possessing everything. And it's not an oxymoron, it's truth. Possess everything. Hebrews um, goes even further. If you ever want to read something to challenge and excite your heart, read Hebrews chapter 11. It's like flipping heck we're in the company of some amazing saints. And it's, it's kind of reaching its conclusion of that chapter. And they say this about many of the guys who've gone before us. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and ill-treated. The world was not worthy of them. Because we're made for a new heaven and a new earth, a kingdom that cannot be shaken. 
And for most of us in this room tonight, at a really practical level, we're not going to be kind of called into that, that level of sort of chosen poverty and all of that. But the Lord is calling us into this narrative and the Lord is calling us into this discipline. It'll be different for each of us. And he is saying to us, give, give. Because what is going to be, you know, what do I long to be written about me? When my years are spent and I, I'm in glory, I long that people will say that in her, some people saw Christ and they came into the kingdom. And actually, she was eternally minded. And when we get our head around eternity, we're going to be looking into that after Christmas. Everything fades. It all comes into perspective. And all we want to do is give. Because it's a good thing. It's what we are made for as image bearers. And we receive so much joy. We receive all the abundance of heaven when we give of ourselves. Okay, finally in all of this, how, how. Um, so giving, practically speaking. Um, at St. Dee's, um, we kind of go along with, not go along with, we um, very happily and decidedly walk with um, the rest of the Church of England and um, much of the church throughout the world and we take hold of the Old Testament principle of 10%. Um, so Deuteronomy speaks of it, Genesis speaks of it, of um, offering 10% of your income to the Lord, to the work of the church. And we encourage those who know and love the Lord Jesus and who call this place home to get on board with that. And um, that's the Old Testament principle. It's also the New Testament principle. In fact, the New Testament, to be honest, is even scarier on this whole realm of giving. If you read Acts 5 and Ananias and Sapphira, they like drop down dead for not giving properly. Admittedly, part of that is because they lied as well, which isn't a good thing to do. But um, yeah. But we, we offer the 10%. We offer giving and tithing in all its forms as a way of really knowing the joy and freedom that we have in God. And also as a way of having more than one toilet, because that's going to be wonderful too. Um, practically speaking, um, we love this parish giving scheme. It's really easy for us and stuff. So um, if you haven't set one of those up, there's some forms at the back, I think, and you can grab um, a hold of one of those. I think you can also give on the website. So 10% is where we get to in terms of tithing and giving. In terms of other stuff, um, I love what Tim often says, which is um, don't try harder, train harder. Guys, this is like a move of the spirit. If we just try and get here intellectually and in our heads, it's just going to feel this massive burden. But in the power of the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead and lives within every believer, this is infinitely easy. Um, so we train harder in the power of the Spirit. We don't try harder for our own will and our own strength. Um, so we enact. Let's try a thankful mentality. If that, that helps you, maybe try that for a week or so. See, see how that works out for you. Work on those small disciplines of giving, not taking in the areas of work and relationships and shopping and all of that. Let's each of us ask this evening, what is my fruit? What's the thing that I know the Lord is nudging me about, the thing that I'm tempted to take and I'm holding on to tightly? Let's engage in activities that allow us to really fully give of ourselves and to, to meet people who are perhaps very different to us. Um, it's just brilliant in here on a Tuesday evening with the guys from Glassdoor. 
nothing, nothing pulls me up straight more than sitting with someone who, you know, at this point in time is homeless and who's got a brilliant, brilliant life story but has been dealt a bit of a hard deal right now. Something like that, you know, food bank, things like that, and night stop, which Joe and Lou do, and um, Sophie and Chris in the morning service. Things that allow us to be really socially engaged, really give of ourselves. And when we start giving, all the stuff that threatens sometimes to kind of choke us and wrap us up just begins to fade away. It comes into perspective. It brings us into freedom. And we do this together. Actually, what happened in Genesis 3? The curse of the fall was not only that we were disconnected from God and creation, but we became kind of disconnected from each other. And Satan loves to stop us from talking to each other and try and encourage us not to do things together because he knows that when we do stuff together, we, we get stuff done. And it's an easier walk. And so in this whole area of, um, of finances or of work or of relationships or of purchases or whatever, find one or two people who you're comfortable with and be really accountable with them in um, this area. It just makes it so much easier when you've had a conversation, you've had a pray about it. We're meant to you know, use those classic Christian disciplines of prayer and accountability in each other and Bible reading. That, that's our fuel. That's what keeps us going. Um, I'm so struck that um, the difficulty in some of this is just the fact that we're British and we're so private, aren't we? Um, I'm on the board of trustees for a charity, and most of the other trustees are American. And they're just so brutally honest about everything all the time to each other. And I'm there feeling like very British and awkward and not really wanting to share and things. Um, Got to get better at just talking this stuff through, doing it together. Deep relationships that can take that stuff. And in all of this, as I said before, we ask the Holy Spirit. We ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to us what our fruit is and then to give us strength to tackle that and to give back to God what is God's and to receive his freedom and his grace and to flourish for the world outside these four walls and for the joy of his kingdom and the glory of it. So that's what we're going we're gonna to do right now. Um, I'm going to invite you to stand, and we're just going to wait on the Lord. We've got about 10, 15 minutes left this evening. Um, I'm going um, to begin in the quiet. So maybe just find some space that you know you can do your business with the Lord. Feel free to take whatever posture um, you need. And we're just going to ask the Holy Spirit to come. He's been present for this whole service. He's been present all day, but we're going to welcome him afresh through the age-old words of the church. And just allow him in freedom and in joy, not in guilt, to prod your heart where it needs to be prodded to reveal the fruit to you.
and then to give it back to him. He just takes it back, takes it back in Jesus. Done, sorted. So, Father, we just say that we love your presence. And we're here this evening as your children, longing to encounter you in spirit and truth. Thank you for all you're doing. We thank you for the abundance of who you are. We thank you that you are the eternally giving God. The reason that we're made to give is because you give and you first loved us and you gave everything in your son that we might be free, might be beckoned home. And so Holy Spirit, we just say, come. Come in this place this evening. Stir our hearts afresh. We wait on you. We wait on you.